This episode was originally a live conversation which took place on Start Summit 2021. We hope you enjoy it. If you look at the people who just opened this, the corner store a few blocks down, they're going into real risk. Because if they fail, then they have a problem for the rest of their life. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Marcus, great to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here with you, Sylvan. Let's talk about your personal background first. You said in an interview before that it was only after you actually finished school that you discovered your love for learning. What was it exactly at, about school that didn't really click with you, that didn't work for you? Um, well, where should I begin? Um, <laughs> I think the from judging from a distance and having seen uh, something else, my uh, uh, struggle was to learn from people who are not themselves learning. Um, but repeatedly just broadcasting the same kind of knowledge. Um, and, and that was very uninspired and very uninspiring. Um, among my teachers, there was one who was learning for himself, uh, um, and, and from him I learned a lot. But that was one in, what, 20, 40? Don't know. Yeah. What's really surprising to me is that despite the lack of law for school, you still ended up working in academia. How did that happen? Maybe maybe uh, the reason why school didn't work for me, and, and that's specific. I'm not saying school sucks in general or whatever. I, I think I was pretty unlucky with the teachers I had, um, and a lot hinges on good teachers in school. Um, maybe there, there was something there uh, that I was too much in love with learning, even back then, uh, to to feel school is worthwhile because school didn't feel like it was about learning so much. Um, when I entered academia, it was a complete shock to me, a positive shock, because I was around people who were actually interested in the subject they were studying. I was around teachers who were uh, enthusiastic about what they they were finding out and and about the topic they were teaching, um, and it was a completely different story than what than I was was used to, um, and and that completely blew my mind. Well, that sounds like a very nice journey to go through. Better that way than the other way around, I guess. But <laughs> still, do you think that it has some hidden advantages to being an entrepreneur with such an unusual background, you know, of not loving school and then actually finding love for the, the academia just later on. Do you think that this sort of played to an advantage in, in your role or was it not really, didn't have that uh, much of an effect on your career? I think the, the very entrepreneurial thing is to find strengths wherever you have weaknesses or where you feel your weaknesses are. So, um, Probably, probably I, I, I folded that into my way of, of doing things and, and uh, um, to some degree might have helped me. Uh, very hard to reverse engineer it and say, what if I was, I was, I mean, I was not a bad, uh, a bad uh, student at school. 
uh, always got my grades, but I just didn't get any fun out of it uh, or any any learning that I could cherish. But um, yeah, I think I think uh, um, that there's so many different ways to be and become an entrepreneur. Um, being bad at school is one part uh, uh, and can help. Being extremely good at school could also help or being mediocre at school, I don't know. Um, for me, it was what it was and I worked with what I had. Um, and I, I guess that's what, what you're supposed to do if you're trying to be, to be an entrepreneur. Right, so there's no one size fits all, but maybe ask differently because with the background story that we just talked about, from your experience now, also after building Bubble, what actually makes a good entrepreneur from your perspective? Is there, are there any common characteristics that you would describe as a good entrepreneur? Well, um, I'm not sure if it's academic to, to, uh, um, to distinguish between a good entrepreneur and a successful entrepreneur. Um, the two are not necessarily the same. So you can be pretty reckless and and leave behind a lot of damage and still build something uh, that that fills your bank account. Um, I think to be a good entrepreneur, um, we everybody needs a lot of empathy. Um, it's and it's important to to convert everything around you into success. And I think that's very similar to how artists work. Um, whatever it is, if you if you have uh, a depression, how can you make that work for you? I mean, in the worst worst of all, or one of the worst cases, if you have uh, limitations, how can you make them part of your success? Because we all have limitations. We all have our tough tough spots and hard stories. And I think what what makes or breaks an entrepreneur is taking these things and, and always asking, what can I make of it? Yeah. I, I personally always love the, the fact that you can really build something out of nothing. Um, last week, we had an in interview with a guy. He started with 5,000 Swiss francs as a capital and planted 1 million trees by just selling his products because he planted one tree per product. And if you put that into perspective, 1 million trees with 5,000 francs, I guess that's the power of entrepreneurship. It's, it certainly is. I think I think we can we can and I think to be uh, being an entrepreneur in that sense, you don't have to own a found, uh, a found a company. I think we all have our entrepreneurial spots and 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 moments, um, and and uh, we we take different kind of risks and and are in different situations. Um, but I totally believe that. If you step up and say, "Okay, I'll take I'll take responsibility," um, you can absolutely uh, change the world. You know, in that regard, there's also this endless discussion about are entrepreneurs being born or being made. What's your perspective on that? Um, I'm I'm very very much in the in the ca ca uh, in the in the camp of entrepreneurs are not even being made; they happen. <laughs> I, okay. I mean, I mean that's. To for everyone, um, I think to who, who I know who's a, a more or less successful entrepreneur, they kind of stumbled into it at a certain point, um, and and they made the best of it. And I think um, if I look at look back at my time at Babel, um, I had pretty unique opportunities to 
to try out things and to to follow my curiosity that I wouldn't wouldn't have had with without that um, experience. So the person I am today is forged through that experience. Um, would I have stayed in academia, then, then uh, I would have followed a completely different trajectory and would be a different person today. Um, and both is fine. So, so um, I, I don't believe there's an entrepreneurial DNA. I think there's entrepreneurial moments for all of us. And then it's about how do we get our shit together? Yeah. I think in that regard, it's probably also fair to say, follow your gut feeling, go what interests you, and then you'll probably eventually find your own way. That depends on the risk you're, uh, uh, you're able to take. Um, because, because, I mean, honestly, we, we very often look at entrepreneurs who are kind of born with a silver spoon um, mm -hmm. and who can't really fail. Um, because if they fail with one venture, they start another one. Um, and it's not their money they, they're wasting. But right. if you if you look at the uh, um, at the people who just opened this, the corner store a, 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 a few blocks down, they're going into real risk um, because if they fail, then um, they they have a problem for the rest of their life. And you don't do that on a gut feel. Sure. Uh, you you better be sure uh, this is the right thing to do. Uh, so, so if you're if you're young and don't need a lot of money, and you know uh, uh, that you'll land safely, uh, either because you can program computers or uh, your 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 parents parents are, are doing well or whatever, um, you can try things, and that's an opportunity, and that's that's an unfair advantage. Uh, if you're not in that position, you'll have to be a little more cautious and still daring. Yep, very good point. So now we want to, of course, also hear about how you actually stumble into founding Babel. In 2007, you met your co-founders in your previous job. So tell us all about what actually made you start your own company together. How did you get started in the early days? We actually started within that other company, which was in music software. And we wanted to build, well, we, we, were, we were building more or less traditional software, software that was delivered on, on DVDs, uh, sold through stores. Um, and we thought, well, one day this, this is going to be online. And we were trying to build that within that company. But there was a strategic decision against it. So we thought, well, we can spin it off and we'll do it on our own. Um, and we were doing that. And I think my co-founders and I were probably the best team in the world uh, uh, for that because we were uh, coming out of the market leader and and were some of the I, I guess uh, uh, better people in that in that or more successful people in that company but then things happened and my uh, beloved co-founder came came up with the idea why don't we start language learning um, and his his observation was there's no way to learn Spanish on the internet. So very deep research, very sophisticated idea. Um, imagine how much I loved that uh, when when we were working on a prototype. Um, but sometimes the ideas that you just can't believe are there uh, are the right ones. Um, and I gave in grudgingly after two months or so. And the others, the others as well. So we actually changed course 
and thought with the product knowledge we have, we can build uh, a language learning app or back then rather we thought of a website that was pre app store. And uh, we thought it's a tech problem. It's a product problem. Uh, mm -hmm. We were so wrong. Um, and, and that's another thing about, about uh, success. It's a lot of luck um, because, uh, and, and sometimes you need to be just naive, walk into an impossible situation and then, then model your way through. Um, like, would we have known how hard it is? We would never have started. Got it. What actually convinced you to go down the, the language learning path that your co-founder convinced you? Was there any specific data or anything, like a specific argument that he brought on the table that actually convinced you in the end to say, okay, that's what we're going to do? Um, well, I think there, there, was, there was quite quite a good argument saying, well, language learning is a bit like dental floss. Some, some, at some point in their life, everybody is, uh, will be using it. Uh, so I think I think that is compared to specialized music software that is only used by by some by a very small group uh, and a group that's not known for spending big on licenses. Um, that is a, that is a very good argument. Um, I, I liked the learning idea from the start. That was that was an easy sell on me. Um, I was I was always uh, in love with languages, but that admittedly is more a hate-love relationship because I suck at learning languages. Um, and I think that a lot of our learners say that uh, about them before they start. Um, and and uh, um, I think what really convinced me was the unknown territory. Like, okay, let's do something that we don't know about. We'll have to learn this. and. Uh, we'll learn while we're doing this. Uh, and that was in contrast to what we had been doing before. We, we knew a lot about what, uh, uh, the space and, and the technologies and, and everything in, in the music realm. Um, and just, just breaking ground into something unknown sounded very, very attractive. Awesome. And you also mentioned that you first thought it's a, it's a product problem. And the product that you first came up with was also quite different from what Babel is today. So some major pivoting happened along the way. Can you tell us a bit more about that, about how you then also changed and adapted the product? Yeah, yeah. That, that is another um, maybe necessary failure uh, we made. Um, we were pretty arrogant in our tech, tech and product knowledge. So uh, we thought almost every problem must be a tech problem um, because we're good at tech. Uh, so when you have a hammer, um, the, the problem was um, it's not a tech problem. Uh, language learning has, has been researched and, and practiced for a long time. Um, I mean, thousands of years and quite a lot of structured knowledge has, has accumulated over that time. And there are people who actually know how this is done. Um, and we were not among them. So, so uh, we more and more found out mm, uh, the product that we built um, does look nice. Um, it does attract a lot of people, way more than we, than we had hoped in our wildest dreams. But you can't learn a language with it. So what can we do? Um, and yeah, what we did was, was uh, uh, change course. And there it helped 
that we weren't convinced we have the answer. And I think that's, if you, if you ask for, if I go back to the question, what, what's, what's an, what makes a good entrepreneur? Um, never think you have the answer. Um, because, because uh, um, I mean, there are moments where you have to be stubborn, no question. But, but um, being arrogant doesn't, doesn't ever help. And, and uh, uh, so we gave in and said, yeah, we need to find people who actually can do this. And, and we did. So, so we, we found Miriam, uh, who, is, who is still with the company and still leading uh, our, our didactics. And uh, she made it happen. Before we continue with the show, we would like to introduce you to our new partner, Nuco. Nuco helps founders navigate the paperwork that starting a company involves. From the first consultation all the way to the commercial register, Nuco has helped more than 900 entrepreneurs start their company, and they do so at highly competitive prices. To find out more, visit nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. Again, that's nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. And now, on with the show. Fantastic. So you brought in language professionals on board to also really not only create the tech, but also create the right learning environment and experience. Yes. And, and it, it sounds easier than it is because mm-hmm. like, if you ever worked with, with engineers and, and designers, <laughs> then you know how hard it is to bring them together. Yeah. If you add teachers to the mix, it doesn't get any better. To, uh, so it was a prolonged uh, uh, infight between the different, different groups, of course. And also looking back, what looked at a terrible nuisance at the time was absolutely necessary because we had to bring it together. You can't just go, go down the route that, because like the teachers had an idea how, how languages are taught, but that was, that was built in the classroom or with Macromedia Director, everybody over 40 might, might still know that. Um, so, so ancient methods, and we had to reinvent that. And, and to do that, you, you have to unlearn a lot. And that was painful for, for uh, teachers and for the entrepreneurs, it was, it was tough to to listen to people who who were not good at programming and still have very deep and relevant knowledge. Right. One thing that also stuck with me is what you mentioned before. As an entrepreneur, sometimes you have to be stubborn and really focus on your opinion and really walk away no matter what everybody else says around you. And sometimes you don't know it. You have to know that you don't know things. Be open and really also gather the feedback. How do you know which mode you need when? I mean, you have a lot of experience. Is there any tip or any feeling that you have about to decide which way you have to go when? I think being uh, aware of the question is is what's helpful. Um, and and it's like with any leader, uh, <clears throat> an entrepreneur needs doubt. Doubt is what what helps us and what steers us. So even if you're if you're acting stubborn, if you're acting self-confident to the outside, um, you have to you have to look at your own doubt and not not push that away. I think that's that's important. Um, and in the end, it's it's kind of how do we manage ourselves as human beings? Uh, uh, that's that's more a life question than than an entrepreneur's question, but 
uh, <clears throat> of course, to be successful in life, we have to manage those things and, and build judgment. And how can we build judgment? Just where, uh, if we're honest with ourselves and ideally with others. Got it. You know, I, I can imagine we could probably fill a whole episode with just that topic, but is there any practice or any habits that you got yourself into that really helped you to reflect, to also make the right calls in these situations? Did you practice any, you know, meditation is very hyped these days, but maybe something like that, or reflect with a journey that you wrote, a, a journal on a daily basis, any practice or hack that you uh, practice yourself to get a clearer mind on, on these topics? I, I do both. I, I write journals and, and I meditate, but both doesn't help me with decisions, honestly. Okay. What does help me is um, to consciously decide not to decide for a time. Mm -hmm. um, so pushing back decisions, uh, not endlessly, but a bit. Um, and I'm not trying to rush. Um, and I mean, at least for decisions that, that, uh, that are high stakes um, and not believe that my intuition is good in anything I have no experience in. I mean, intuition is good in things that I have a ton of experience in, but that I have to, I have to look at. So, so I think thinking twice at, uh, about, about important things is key and, and not, not feeling I have to have the answer right now. I don't. Uh, the costs of, of giving a wrong answer are very often higher than, than waiting a day and looking at it in a different, in a different uh, uh, mood, in a different environment, and so on. True. For how long do you usually wait with such a decision? One, two days, or two, three weeks, or what's the approximate time frame there? It really depends. Um, I mean, to give you a large example, the the uh, decision to step down as a CEO um, that was rather months I took uh, to look at it. Do I really want this? Uh, do I really want to do this before before um, I, I I acted on it? Uh, because that was that's a move you can't take back, right? Um, and and uh, other decisions that are important, but, but that you could, could possibly reverse and that are more urgent. It's usually a day or two that I take. Yeah. Um, but even in, a, it's not only for, because as an entrepreneur, you're usually not alone, hopefully not. So you work with a team and even in a meeting with a team, it, there's so much relief when you can say, look, let's not decide this today. Um, and you can even you can usually see how the faces relax when you say let's let's get the let's get everything on the table today let's get the criteria and the options on the table and then decide tomorrow i like that a lot i it's, think it's easy and takes the pressure out exactly one decision that you also made very early on was actually about your business model. You focused on a subscri subscription-based model instead of going for an ad-based free version or freemium version. Why do you make that decision? Because that's different from what other players do it. Yeah. Um, the, a couple of reasons. And, and back then, back in 2009, subscription was rare. Um, I still remember uh, that I think Fast Company had the headline... Wall Street Journal and Babel are going subscription, and one of them is wrong. And, and we had a party even uh, just because 
Wall Street Journal and Babel was in the same headline. We were 10 people <laughs> or 15 people at the time. So, so that was really exciting. Um, we came to the point where we saw you can't optimize for two things, for, for advertising revenue and for building a, a good learning product. So uh, as, a, as an advertising platform, your customers are advertisers um, and, and your learners are part of the product. Um, and that doesn't help you to, to build a groundbreaking learning product. Um, and the question was really, how can we make our learners our customers? That was what, what led the, uh, um, the idea. And then we thought about, could we sell courses uh, and, and what, what could be a potential model? And, mm -hmm. and we settled that subscription might be the right thing. Also, because it set the right incentive for us, um, because we learned that our learners had, of course, the goal of learning a language, but the other goal was sticking with it. And and uh, we thought, hmm, when we do subscriptions, our objective as a company is to keep people around <laughs> and help them stick stick with it. Uh, so we have a, a rare uh, alignment of of objectives there. Makes sense. I would also like to highlight, you know, you're stepping down as a CEO that you mentioned before. I think that's a critical and crucial step to take in any founder's journey. So basically, before you're actually able to do that, you have to develop from a founder to a leader because you also grew the company to multiple employees. How do you actually master that? Because that's a big step. What were some, you know, challenges that you faced along that challenge or, or journey actually from being a founder in a small team to being a leader of several employees and also an international organization because that's a big step to take oh yeah yeah it is it is a, a big challenge and and it was was not easy on me and and uh, um on a uh, side job i'm helping young founders uh, uh in that in that journey as well so so i can i saw a couple of examples how this can go right or wrong um, I think the the key part is letting letting go, um, because what you learn as a founder is to do everything yourself, whatever it is. Uh, like, there's no milk in the kitchen. Go buy it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So so there's uh, you need you need a database set up. Find out how to do it, whatever it is. Um, and then when you start becoming a leader, you, you have to let people do do things in a different way, in a different way than you would do it, making different mistakes than you would do, do uh, than you would do. And that, that these mistakes happen. Um, that's so hard. Um, all, it's hard on two dimensions. One is you feel unproductive. Mm -hmm. um, just, just sitting there and letting people do things feels completely like a waste of time when you're used to just uh, uh, move stuff yourself, right? And the other thing is, um, it, it makes it really uneasy that people do it in a different way than you would have started it, or um, and and not not telling them how to do it, but just uh, what you want out of it and and help them, uh, other, rather than tell them how to do it, is challenging. Um, and and uh, um, I think both both is something you can train like most things in life. Mm -hmm. um, and 
again, being aware, this is something I have to learn. Um, what for me was, was key. It started with giving up coding um, and then giving up uh, 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 querying that databases and building our own, own uh, data, data analysis and, and then handing over jobs. And the last step as of now was handing over the CEO job. And for me, that's one journey of letting go. Um, and I think today I'm pretty good at it. In the in the beginning, I completely sucked. I I suffered when I was when I stopped coding because my days just felt like a waste of time. I was just in meetings. I mean, what a waste. How do you deal with that? I mean, was there anything that helped you to to you know go through that mentally? Because that's very, very tough. I can even imagine letting go of the CEO role, although you become really good at letting go, it's still challenging, right? Mentally. It is, it is challenging, um, and honestly, I always liked challenges. Um, and I think one of the parts for me of being entrepreneurial is really to spot your challenges and, and, not, uh, and, and try to get out of your comfort zone in different directions, not always in, <laughs> in one way. And, and letting go was, was certainly something that brought me outside of my comfort zone. Um, and the way I learned it was by, by practicing it and by being aware, I have to practice this. I'm, I'm bad at it um, and it's needed. So, so um, I try to, to do it more. And what really, really pushed it for me was the moment where I was pr more proud about somebody else's success than about my own. Um, more proud about things that happened because I didn't interfere than uh, uh, things that I d did myself. Uh, because that's where you have leverage, right? Um, I, can, mm -hmm. I can let, well, Babel now is, is 700 people there. You can, you can move a lot of things if you, mm -hmm. if you let people do stuff. And very, very little if you do it yourself. Exactly. So, so um, celebrating success that you let happen more than your own success um, is is very helpful, but it's not something that comes natural right away. It's it's uh, uh, it needs some needs some work. In that regard, what is your philosophy? Betting on your strengths or working on your weaknesses? I think it depends very very much. Um, there um, there are weaknesses that you can turn into strengths. Um, very often I find out that people who have, have spikes in strengths, that these spikes are actually overcompensating uh, for their weaknesses. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it's really, really hard to say. Um, usually I would say if you, if you change a strength by 10%, it's usually uh, a lot more than if you change a weakness by 10%. Um, but if your weakness is not being able to let go, uh, you have to change it. It's crucial. So I think there's a hygiene factor uh, that you have to get to, a minimum um, uh, to, to be able to, to do a job. Um, and then you, can, then you have the more the problem, how do I, what can I work on right now? What's, what's most important? Um, but you can't just let weaknesses go if they're at the cost of being effective as a, as a leader. Absolutely. 
Marcus, I imagine we could probably go on for another one or two hours. I'm really impressed by your philosophy and also just the way that you built Babel and the learnings you shared with us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to talking to us. And I wish you lots of success with whatever you will tackle in the future. And of course, also with Babel. And I'm just very curious to see what you'll be working on next. Thank you, Sivan. Now that you've finished listening to the episode, why not top it off with a quick rating on Apple Podcasts? It's one of the best things you can do to help us reach more entrepreneurs just like you.